Welcome to the Leader's Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leader's Edge. In this installment of our Personal Lines podcast series, our Associate Editor, Chris Han, talks with John Nelson, co-CEO of Warner Pacific. In this fun and interesting conversation, we learn about Nelson's passion for collecting model ships, what he learned early on in his career that has shaped his approach to employee benefits, and how his heroes have unknowingly inspired his leadership. I hope you enjoy this great conversation. Okay, John Nelson, thank you very much for being here. John is the co-CEO with his brother at Warner Pacific, uh, based in California, but you are now talking to us from the great city of Cleveland, Ohio. It seems like I do these interviews every month and every month I come across some little biographical aspect that I've never encountered before. You mentioned you're a collector and restorer of ship models. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested in that. How did that hobby come about? Well, I've always collected ship models. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I'm uh, like a lot of kids, they putting together models uh, that uh, your family gives you and they're little plastic battleship models and airplane oh. models and those kinds of things. And so that uh, apparently left some sort of indelible impression on me. So as time has gone on, while I've always had a desire to put them together, uh, it's a lot easier just simply to collect them when they're already built, right? <laughs> and <laughs> so, so it's up at some point. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's, it started. It, it, it and and what, it, what how it's evolved is I like the larger scale models, more detailed the better. Uh, and here's where the restoration part comes in, because it's nothing fancy. Uh, one of the models that I got recently, which is a very large bulk carrier model, it's like a container ship type model. Wow. It's, about, it's like nine feet long, right? Uh, I got it, and it's a, it's a fantastic model. It's all brass and everything, but it showed it broken. Oh, so, now, so now I'm a restorer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the good news, bad news about this bottle was that on the good, on the bad news side is it showed up, you know, with pieces, um, uh, you know, in, in disarray and the rigging it broken and other things about it, they were broken. That's bad news. The good news is that now I got a project. <laughs> I, got, I actually get to do homework on it and touch it and make it right other than just staring at it. I'm actually now investing myself into this thing. So it's probably another three to six months before I get it right. But wow. so far I'm picking out the right kind of paints and everything else. It's it beats selling insurance. <laughs> <laughs> so I can officially call myself a restorer at this point. Okay. But All this right. may this may be the one that sinks me though. This may be my last <laughs> restoration. <laughs> no pun intended. Okay. Right. <laughs> um when you started out, was there a particular model of a particular ship that struck your fancy? Well, I mean, it, it, it started with, I don't know how I got into this, you know, and I'm not a warmonger. Just, let me just put, put that out there. I'm just not. So that said, <laughs> I- the record. Right. So I tend to collect <laughs> uh, famous ships of World War II. I mean, that's kind of where it's gone. I- um, and I've still got my sights set on models out there, but the you know I'm I'm obsessed with um, uh, tanker ship models. I, I haven't found a good one yet, but I'm looking. And I've got a cruise ship model 
of the Disney fantasy. It's about the deal I cut with my wife on this was I wanted to get this high end, very detailed <laughs> four foot, five foot long model of a cruise right. ship. Okay. And so, and then the fantasy is one of the Disney cruise ships is very colorful, very detailed. And I had a source for this. I saw the model at the Disney, one of the Disney hotels and I wanted it and I asked him if it was for sale or I can find something and no, but then I found a source that uh, was able to replicate one and make one. And so two years later it shows up, but the deal was after writing the check for it uh, with my family was, all right, you're going to buy yourself a ship on. Okay. So you're going to take us on a cruise on that ship. <laughs> so was, that sounds was, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, you kind of have to work these compromises out, right? <laughs> the sacrifices one must make, I guess. Right. Uh, you grew up in Westlake Village, California. Tell me mm -hmm. about Westlake Village and what was it like growing up there? Great. I mean, it was it's suburbia. Uh, I went to high school in Agora High School, which is a city right next to Westlake Village. Um, um you know, I don't know the thing. There's anything remarkable, but it's a very nice community, and I still reside there. Uh, ultimately, went to UCLA, which is you know an hour away, so I'm very much of a local boy to to the Southern California area. Mm -hmm. Okay, what was your favorite class in high school? Oh well, math. Math was my favorite. Uh, I did well with math, and it was very logical to me. Um, but math was probably my least favorite subject in college. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but it just went down. It went south. <laughs> well, you, how, how, how does that happen? What, 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 what well, I'll tell you how it happens. It happens when you're, you know, I was in rowing at college. I was on crew. Okay. Where, um, you know, you got these long boats with eight guys in them. So I did that for four years and I was in a fraternity. Uh, and I didn't have any idea about, about how to spell coffee. There was no caffeine in that whole thing. So, um, and you mix in like physics and <laughs> calculus. That's it, it. Doesn't work okay. too well. It it didn't work too well. Somehow I managed, uh, you know, to make it all work. But um, that's what happened to math. It was a casualty of of other things in college. It overtook you. <laughs> it over. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> there are different ways to put it. That's a good one. <laughs> you also told me, uh, I asked you about heroes. And mm -hmm. you Neil Armstrong and Chester Bennett's. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's obvious, but why those two? You know, with Chester Nimitz, he was uh, he was not MacArthur in World War II. MacArthur was all, all all over the papers. He was, you know, he, he was the guy. He was the guy that needed to be uh, photographed numerous times when he was exiting the ship and land, walking in on uh, land. And, you know, justifiably so. I mean, that, he's a hero, a, a five-star general. This is just no question about that. But by comparison, Nimitz was um, very understated. He was all about... Uh, you know, getting the job done and he, his troops and um, uh, people revered him, including uh, the Japanese after the, the war was over. Uh, they, uh, they respected him and it was how he carried himself. Uh, there's a story I read about him. Uh, I read a book about a biography of him and in, 
in Berkeley. He went to he was he started the R2C program in Cal Berkeley, if you can imagine oh, that. I did not know that. In the middle of the sixties, you know, he'd long retired. He was a five-star admiral. Uh, they paraded him along with the governor of California out, as well as the chancellor of the university out to a Cal football game during halftime. So they introduced the governor. Now, this is the middle of the 60s. So you can imagine what it was like then in Berkeley <laughs> with any figure, any authoritative figure. You just imagine what the reaction might be, right? Well, Eric figured. Yeah. So here comes the governor of California and he got booed, resounding. It was a resounding boo. And the chancellor of the university didn't fare well either. But it's, it's, but before they even, now here's Admiral Nimitz. He's, he's, he's um, elderly, he's gray, but he's got stripes down his arm. He is the military guy. He is in Cal, in uh, University of California, in the middle of a football game there. Before they could even announce his name, he got a standing ovation hmm. from everybody in that crowd. Hmm. The, city, the city revered him. They loved him. Wow. And so here on the one hand, he, he basically uh, helped us to uh, win World War II, right? right? But on the other side of it, there was a humble part of him that a lot of people uh, just uh, respected. So you, know, you look at that and it's just there's something there, right? In terms of just lessons, and how you, one carries oneself. Right, right, right. How about that? And then as far as Armstrong is concerned, Armstrong... He, you know, he just knew he was vision oriented. He knew that he was going to be walking on the moon uh, when he was in high school, uh, college. Uh, he just knew that he was going to be the guy. He was obsessed with this. He was mission driven. That's what he was all about. He's a very private guy, but never um, um, shared much of anything. There was a wall there that uh, wouldn't let him um, people get inside. The people knew in advance of the landing. Um, the Apollo team, NASA, they knew that if you gave him a chance to land on that moon, no matter what was going on with that, uh, that uh, lander, he was going to do it. He was just going to get the job done. So any of the snafus that you've heard about the mission or whatever, yeah. he was a guy and he was, he was going to get the job done. Did you ever think that you took any any lessons from those two uh, and, and applied them in your business life i think that as, as far as armstrong is concerned it was a it's a balance of life thing you know joking aside with the, the ship restorer ship model restorer i gotta figure out how to say this right right a <laughs> <laughs> uh, collector that sounds more sophisticated but it's not true <laughs> something like and a photography I think that in, in my personal life, uh, I think all of that adds up to some balance and I, you know, so the, and, and determination and vision, uh, as well as, you know, in terms of how to lead, um, not, uh, spiking the ball when you hit the finish line first, or you got to win here. Uh, there is, there's plenty of examples to look to about how, you know, you could, win a race that you've won and you could lose a race. I say you can lose a race that you've won and win a race that you've lost. There's lessons there. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that resonates with me. I uh, try to follow some of those things, I suppose. I haven't really thought much about it, but until now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I asked you about, uh, 
uh, business career mentors, and you mentioned uh, David Ludwig and Leonard Schaefer from WellPoint. Leonard Schaefer, right. And you said, working with them helped me understand and appreciate the healthcare industry beyond the role of an insurance agent. There is greater meaning to what our family of employees do today that was inspired by Dave, Leonard, and many of their colleagues. Tell me mm -hmm. what you mean by that, a greater meaning to what your family of employees do today. Well, they were, you know, they, as well as their colleagues, Leonard and Dave, uh, they they built Blue, they resurrected Blue Cross of California, and ultimately, that ultimately came at WellPoint, that ultimately merged in with Anthem. And being in the health insurance business uh, right around, or just entering into the health insurance business and getting serious about it right around the time that they were doing their thing and building that, uh, resurrecting the company and building it, you know, that was a very impressionable time for me. And uh, you know, looking back on it, it was very fortunate because Dave, uh, you know, he's a hardworking Midwestern guy that had a lot of sales management skills uh, and was uh, he had sales structures in, in place that that he was um, that 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 helped drive that company. It was he was at the core of their success, the products that he was selling and the way he sold it. And he was very free uh, with the information with me. He was very he was always there if I had any questions about sales, sales techniques, sales management. Um, at a time when I, you know, we were young in the business, right? We're just kind of learning how we do things. Um, as in, on Schaefer, Leonard is well known, I think, even to this day. Uh, he is the CEO of um, WellPoint. Um, and, you know, he... He, the, the speeches he gave, people, people would go out of their way to go to these meetings to hear him talk. And how he, how he spoke about the industry was always in a global sense. There was always a context of it. It wasn't just about the nature of a PPO product or an HMO product. It didn't even get close to that. It was always in the context of what was going on in the healthcare industry, what the role of the insurers was in it. Uh, underwriting cycles, um, all kinds of things that were that were, you know, bigger than what it was that we were selling. And then, I mean, I use the term healthcare financing for the products we sell, which is health insurance, right? It's healthcare financing. I didn't make that word up. <clears throat> um, he did. Uh, I don't know if he made it up, but that's I, I borrowed those words from him as well as some of these other things. Yeah. So it was Leonard Schaefer and David Ludwig and Ron Williams and David Helwick. There was a whole team there. And I would argue that there was a lot of people that who were familiar with that team that would look back to them and say, yep, they were they were very powerful and influential people. Uh -huh. All right. Um, what do you think you take from them in terms of the way that you uh, conduct yourself as a leader in your company? Well, uh, you know, it's not about, it's not all about this, you know, just how many sales we're making. It's not all about uh, how we're doing compared to our competitors and this and that. It's, it's, there's a lot more meaning in terms of what we do as a company because of, of some of the things they inspired us me to think about 
It's about ensuring that people have uh, access to quality healthcare, health security, and uh, the public sector and private sector involvement with that. Um, and I wouldn't have thought about a lot of those kinds of things had it not been for their inspiration. Uh -huh. We have more meaning in terms of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis because of their inspiration. And that adds extra energy to our step. It adds depth to what our purpose is. And when you've got those going for you, as well as other things that come with it, you become more successful in the long run, I believe. That was John Nelson, co-CEO of Warner Pacific. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more podcasts with industry leaders, visit leadersedge.com.